The weed laws are set for adult use of marijuana in Massachusetts. The existing medicinal dispensaries will play a big role on opening day on July 1st. We'll talk with Keith Cooper, CEO of the Revolutionary Clinics in Somerville. All that and more on this episode of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. This program is brought to you by Vape Daddies, the Boston region's most equipped store, totally dedicated to the art of vaping instead of smoking your favorite product. Who's your daddy? Vape Daddy in four locations around Boston and Norwood, Newton, Braintree, and Framingham. Can we go back to the promised land? Sure. Um, I don't know. I'll be perfectly honest. What, the, what is Israel's laws when it comes to cannabis? Do you have any idea? Because I don't. And yet I know that they're one of the leaders in the scientific research on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know all the laws over there, Jimmy. I do know that they are allowed to do uh, research uh, at scale. So lots of um, companies uh, that are doing that in Israel are coming over here and pitching uh, their capabilities to uh, the likes of us. You know, do you want to take a strain, a genetic, a, a an application, and have us run a research study for you in Israel, uh, publish the results, and, and um, hopefully someday uh, be able to uh, uh, to sell that with that moniker here in the U.S. So I don't know the laws, but they're doing a lot more than we are. There's not a shock right there because they've led the way in technology mm-hmm. for uh, decades, and uh, I'm never uh, never surprised about what goes on in that amazing country. Yeah. And yes, I'll admit it, I am a bit biased. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're talking with Keith Cooper, the CEO of the Revolutionary Clinics, one of the medical marijuana dispensaries here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And this is uh, a new development in that uh, when retail was voted in, when adult use was approved by the voters of Massachusetts in the 2016 election. Um, by the way, at 54% of the people elect, uh, saying yes to question four, I think it was. Um, then I guess that what they had to do was they had to create a commission. They had to create, the state had to create a cannabis commission to write the laws and regulations for retail use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the honor and privilege of actually going to one of the public hearings because I was just fascinated mm-hmm. by it. I, I admit it. Um, and I uh, enjoyed listening to them. However, I do understand that some of the regulations and rules were a little controversial, um, as you might expect in this new industry. And people just aren't sure. Again, the knowledge just isn't there yet. And I guess they're using uh, the Colorado model and the Washington state model and the California model as their model so that they don't make the mistakes that some of those early states um, suffered. What is your feelings about how the Cannabis Commission went about their duties and the regulations that have been uh, presently put forth into the industry? Yeah. Look, um, you know, brand new industry um, in a state that is, um, although very liberal, very puritanical, uh, we still have dry towns in Massachusetts. When I say that to people in California or Colorado, they, they think I'm kidding. And uh, <laughs> I live right next to one. Uh, they don't serve alcohol. So um, in this state with that environment um, and, and with a very short time frame, relative government mm-hmm. time frame, mm-hmm. um, the five um, uh, members of the commission, I think, have done a fabulous job, really fabulous. With all the complexities and history of these issues. Uh, they, uh, they, they worked hard. They listened a lot. 
They compromised a lot, and they tried to uh, make rules that made sense for the industry. Of course, the DPH already had um, probably 70% of the rules established uh, for the medicinal um, market uh, by way of who could get in and what uh, what sort of facilities you had to have and what sort of security you had to have and what sort of uh, IDs you needed to check um, and so forth. And the quality, of course, and the testing and making sure it's pure and, and, and high quality. So a lot of that existed, but even with that, uh, they they were under a very very short time frame with a lot of uh, very very interested constituents uh, that attended meetings like the ones you did, uh, and in between meetings uh, again and again, uh, trying to uh, put their points forth. So I I applaud them for what they have done, uh, and I think for a, a first. Um, uh, push for uh, these regulations, which are now um, finalized, quote unquote, um, and, and printed up. Um, I think they did a great job. I really do. Um, I would love it not to have to spend, you know, $500,000 to put security equipment where there aren't going to be any problems. I would love it if that weren't the case, but it is. Um, I would love it if uh, my delivery van um, could be driven by one person, not two, which is kind of a waste of money and time. Um, I would love it if I could have um, uh, uh, things in my delivery van if people wanted, they could ask for and I could give it to them, uh, especially those that are in need and if limited um, capabilities to get to the store. Um, that's a regulation that I would that I would change. But in the broad scope, I think they've done a great job, and they'll continue to revise, I think, and adjust uh, these rules uh, as time goes on. Yeah, and I will give the governor credit just because he, you know, it was cliche to say we want to walk before we run, mm-hmm. but he is a politician after all, and a good one, I might add. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, you you're better off going slow in the beginning. But you are going to see, I believe, on July 1st when the first retail shop actually opens and needless to say, being a member of the media, that's going to be a big story. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing live shots outside of that particular place. You don't know who the first licensee will be yet, do you? Um, I have a, a sense, um, Jimmy, that um, you know Boston uh, and the surrounding neighborhoods like Brookline and, and Jamaica Plain, places like that, um, are not going to put into a, mor- a moratorium. I think Newton is another area that's decided. Brockton is an area that's decided they're going to, um, you know, um, perform by way of the will of the voters and, and open on July first. Uh, other cities and towns um, feel that they're not prepared yet. Uh, want to spend some time um, with a cross-section of uh, expertise trying to figure out in their own communities what makes the most sense uh, for them. Uh, And, um, you know, Somerville and Cambridge are two of those places. Obviously, um, very, very high percentage of uh, favorable uh, voting for adult use. Um, 70s and 80s uh, percent as opposed to the 54 percent you mentioned for the state average. However, um, you know, this, the citizens want to make sure they're heard. They want to make sure that um, the, it's done in the right way. Uh, and so they're taking uh, some time uh, to have um, um, uh, processing committees um, uh, that are not all called moratoriums uh, that um, will, uh, will take a few months. And, and, of course, that's right in the midst of the summer. So, you know, some of those might be more in the fall. So how is a medical dispensary that's been in operation now for a few years, um, what, how are you going to um, deal with the adult use? Is there going to be a certain amount of hours that you are open for retail? How, how, what, what are the regulations at this point? I don't know. Yeah, the regulations um, are 
that there needs to be enough product uh, for the medical uh, community, uh, the, the side of the um, uh, business that we focus on today, so that um, the adult use um, population, which is obviously much larger, uh, doesn't uh, take all the product and leave nothing uh, for the medicine. Uh, so there are regulations around how much we need to have on hand. Yeah, uh, I think it was 35% or something like that. 35%, six months worth. It's, it's going to be a little bit hard to, uh, to figure all that out, frankly, uh, but it's a, it's a good idea. We actually at Revolutionary, uh, two months before they decided on that um, that rule, uh, decided we were going to be setting aside um, two months' worth of product for our medical patients so that they would never go without. Uh, and uh, so we're committed to doing that. And you know how much you go through on a monthly basis at Absolutely. this point. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We, we're growing uh, right. quickly, uh, but we do. And, and we're getting to know our patients very well. We serve thousands of them now. And so we have a good idea uh, mm-hmm. for how to project what uh, we should put aside for them. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, having um, access, right? You're talking about the lines around the block for the recreational. Uh, yes, you know, maybe, exactly maybe, what I'm maybe, thinking. Maybe, yes, maybe for a few days. Uh, you don't want to put a medical patient at the at the back of that line. Uh, so we will have a separate line if they so choose, or if they want to, uh, you know, st- stand in the longer line uh, for for the adult use. They they can certainly do that. But we'll accommodate them uh, for their needs uh, because that's our that's our passion. Will there be limits on the amount a average person who wants to buy it over twenty one in retail will have? Are there going to be limits to that? Yeah, there's, there's there's limits for the medicinal side, which by are, the way we can are. get into. I think they're way too much, but I am not one yeah, to yeah, to judge that. Um, but are there going to be limits to on the recreational side, as far as you know? Um, so I think the um, uh, the fact that you're not supposed to have a certain amount on your person mm. in public mm. um, is effectively a limit on what you can purchase, mm-hmm. which is under one ounce, if I have remembered it so is, much. Exactly. Yeah. So if you went in and bought. 10 ounces, yes. uh, the second you walk out the door, you're, you're out of compliance. <laughs> right, which means you're susceptible. You could get arrested. Let's cut to the chase. It still is on the books. That, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So uh, beyond that, um, there aren't uh, any serious limits, except um, like any other uh, store, whether it's a, a pharmacy uh, or um, you know, a wine store, if, if you sense that somebody's buying uh, not for their own purposes uh, and there might be some secondary distribution, uh, you are um, required to report that uh, to uh, the authorities. Now, you know that there's already been uh, existence of certain people who are circumventing even the medical regulations that are out there uh, through the gifting process. Mm-hmm. You know, you buy a drink of juice and, oh, here's a bonus of, uh, you know, 12 grams of marijuana that go along with that juice. And by the way, that glass of juice is going to cost you, you know, $50, $100, whatever it happens to be. Uh, You still aren't getting that from a regulated uh, grower. And I think that's one of the things that's falling through the cracks as far as the knowledge goes is the black market exists. It's existed for hundreds of years, Mm -hmm. if not thousands of years. Uh. As a uh, person who is doing everything by the law, according to regulations, how either upsetting is it? How uh, concerned are you about it? Um, How would you deal with that black market that is still out there with the whole idea that, well, why do we need the black market anymore if it's actually available to the public or through a uh, medicinal uh, program? Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be up to us um, to create 
a better product uh, at a reasonable price um, that is sold in a, in a nice environment, um, like anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, black market, the gray market certainly exists at scale uh, all over the country, all over the world. And um, if we can't um, show uh, the end consumer that our product is superior uh, because it's grown in a regulated environment inside in, you know, very, very clean conditions, no pesticides, no mold, no heavy metals, all of the things that exist in a large percentage of that black market uh, product line. Um, and uh, and we, we don't price it at a point where it becomes um, a difficult decision uh, for somebody. We should, we should begin to eat away at that black market uh, very, very quickly. And I think you've seen that in other states that have been at this a while. Yeah, and again, another example of how Massachusetts is using the other states' um, experience in this uh, as an example for them, too. Do, do you think that the, the commission did a pretty good job about using – did they learn by some of the mistakes Washington, Colorado, California have done? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, personally, um, I think the industry and the population is best served by not having a marijuana shop, um, you know, on every, every 50 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, right now until mm-hmm. everybody can learn more about the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was uh, a mistake to some extent that Colorado made. Yeah. I think in California, the mistake that they made uh, is that they taxed it very highly. Yeah. And so it made the black market that much more attractive and it made it more difficult for legitimate businesses to uh, actually be successful. Uh, in Oregon, uh, they didn't limit uh, supply, um, and so prices came down rapidly. And and they they sort of weren't sure what they were going to do with the medical versus the adult use um, licenses. And so they at first they gave them to the people that were doing medicinal, and then they took them away. And those medicinal stores uh, began to suffer because you can get the same product pretty much from any uh, store uh, that uh, that carries the product. So I think the commission did look at those um, uh, situations and put appropriate regulations. In place by way of um, trying to balance supply and demand uh, here, um, uh, putting a, re- a reasonable uh, tax, a 17% plus a host community fee, so call it 20% uh, on the product uh, that can be used and, and will be used for in- incredible purposes in each and every community mm-hmm. in the state. At, and, and it's going to be dollars that you can't find anywhere else. Right. I saw a counselor from uh, Malden, I believe, that is a pro uh, marijuana, who wants uh, the retail shops to actually exist in his town so he can get rid of the lead pipes that have been around for hundreds of years in Malden. Uh-huh. Um, and again, this is a, what people don't recognize is uh, the good that will be the good in the community will be far offset by the negative in the community, I believe. And again, this is just through experience, and, and it makes sense if you think it about it. Sense. And uh, I've always said, you know, make it legal, tax it, and the people will find ways to make it work yeah. and, and go to the good rather than to the bad. Yeah. Um, how, uh, let me ask you about delivery. We talked a little bit about delivery. Uh, your dispensary is one of the few that actually has a wide delivery region, yes? Yes, we do um, right now uh, sort of Metro Boston. Mm-hmm. You know, seven or eight miles uh, outside of the city limits, um, and we deliver out of our Somerville location. What is the percentage of your business delivery versus walk-in? 
Yeah, we just started delivery two weeks ago. Oh, so yeah. you can't really tell. Uh, so, but your projections—you must have used somebody else's. <laughs> I mean, what was Colorado? You have an idea of what the the industry as a whole has found? I, I think when the industry is uh, mature, it will be f- about fifty percent delivery, like it is in California. Yeah, um, that's interesting. All right, so. Don't want to say I've experienced all of these, but I can admit that I have experienced just about every which way possible. But uh, that being said, I want to talk about dosing Mm -hmm. because dosing to me has always been uh, the biggest challenge on this. I I think when you uh, and and when you are um, getting into something new, you are learning as you go and you whether you are taking Percocet, an opioid, or you are taking a cannabinoid. um, Did I say it right this time? I did. No? I did, did I? Cannabinoid. Say it again. Cannabinoid. Cannabinoid. I need to see the name, and then I can phonetically do it. But anyway, it'll become natural soon enough. Um, The human body takes in this drug, and every human body is different, uh, how it metabolizes in your system. Um, And that includes whether you are taking it as an edible, whether you're taking it as a pill, whether you're taking it uh, you're inhaling it by uh, through smoke and inhalation, or you're vaping it. Every single one of these is. So how do you? How do your patient advocates in revolutionary clinics educate the the human guinea pig? Because we're all guinea pigs when we go in, and we have no idea how this product is going to affect us versus another. Yeah. So they ask a lot of questions, mm-hmm. uh, and and that will continue into the adult use uh, sales. Um, what's your experience uh, been so far? Have you um, have you ever done an edible before? Have you ever had a tincture drop under your tongue? Have you um, uh, smoked a high THC uh, content uh, bud? Mm-hmm. Um, with those questions, you can figure out where they are on the scale of experience, if you will, because that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. And our, our theme and, and philosophy is go low, go slow. Right. And, and that just means that especially if you're new uh, to the um, uh, delivery mechanism, again, whether it's a tincture or an edible, uh, you should uh, take less than you think you uh, want or need. Uh, let the experience happen. And then if you want to up that, go for it. And, and again, each person is going to be different. So it's hard for me to say you're good at 20 milligrams, I'm good at 10 milligrams. Uh, it's something that you have to experience. Yeah. And interesting enough, uh, Beth Dost, who's one of the more respective people in the community. She's the chief clinical officer of Medwell. She believes that humans need 2.5 milligrams almost daily mm-hmm. to balance the natural system that you have inside you. Mm-hmm. So th- there are people that, we, we again, the human body is kind of complicated. And uh, so I guess, and everybody, by the way, has an edible story. In fact, I expect to, uh, this weekend at the New England Cannabis Convention, um, one of the themes of one of my podcasts is going to be, tell me your edible story. <laughs> um, and before we, you know, we laugh and, and we giggle about it, we also recognize that none of us want to deal with taking too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true whether you're dealing with alcohol, which, by the way, if you take too much alcohol, you could die. That's really not the case with cannabis. Mm -hmm. Yes, you will have perhaps not an enjoyable experience, but the chances that you're going to um, have a fatal dose is practically non-existent. Am I right? Yeah, that's that's, that's proven um, over the years. And even the uh, U.S. attorney in Massachusetts, um, who uh, is a a very um, straight 
forward type of guy, said, look, at, there were about 2,000 deaths in Massachusetts last year from opioid use. There were zero deaths uh, from marijuana use. Right. Where, where do you think I'm going to spend my time? Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's something that um, education uh, will be a really important part of it and experience will be a really important part of it, so, just like wine. Right, the first time you maybe drank a little bit too much wine, you woke up with a headache. I did not have a good experience the first time I had wine, and I don't want to tell you how, what age I was, but let's just say the drinking age when I was growing up was eighteen, uh-huh, right. which tends to mean that those who might be a few years younger than that might have access to bars back in the seventies that you just can't get into now without a really good fake ID, mm-hmm. and we all know those exist too. Yeah. When you are dealing with the stereotype and the prejudice about this, how many times do you have to come up with the stats about alcohol and its dangers versus cannabis? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting how um, alcohol is, um, you know, obviously advertised and sold, and um, um, and, and and it has a perspective of something very very positive, um, and I enjoy it. Um, and cannabis, if for the most part, um, has had a long journey uh, to get into the greater than 50% think it's a good thing category mm-hmm. where it is now in this country. Um, so um, there have been lots of times, Jimmy, when I've had to explain at public hearings and in community meetings or with committees in towns and cities to, to put it in perspective. Uh, and to really, to, again, put it more in terms of things that they understand. Um, like one, if, if you take a 5-milligram or a 10-milligram uh, edible, for most people that's going to be the effect of a glass and a half of wine. Mm-hmm. You know what a glass and a half of wine does to you today because mm-hmm. you've had a few. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I and, have. Um, uh, <laughs> so, so it will become not so scary. It will become very, very much uh, more normalized. And by the way, without the hangover and without the calories uh, and without the addiction – uh, and there are just so many positive things that are going to come out of this uh, legalization process. Yeah. You know, you mentioned wine. Um, I've been fortunate enough to travel over the last year, my my 60th year on earth, I might add. Mm-hmm. And I have visited both the Tuscany region and the Napa region in within six months. And I can see a time, by the way, I never thought I'd see a time where marijuana would be legal in this country, um, but I can actually see a time where there may be fields of uh, marijuana Like you see fields of um, wine grapes in both regions. And, uh, you know, even now uh, with the different types of flower that are out there and the different effects that each flower has. And by the way, the names are just awesome. I just love (laughs) the different creative names that they've come up with for some of the strains of flower. Um, But I totally see a day where um, beer, you know, the microbreweries out there, that's very popular right now. Uh, Different types of wine are out there. That's extremely popular. I can totally see a time, I don't know how long in the future, but sometime in the future where you will have a similar um, industry and a comparative with the marijuana industry versus wine and microbrewing. Yeah, it's, it's going to happen faster than you think, Jimmy. Okay. It, it has to do with legalization, right? Yeah. So just north of the border, a one-hour flight from here <clears throat> in Canada, uh, already uh, deals are being done uh, between uh, large um, 
alcohol companies and cannabis companies, large uh, pharmaceutical companies and cannabis companies, uh, large um, uh, pharmacy um, uh, locations like CVS, um, the equivalent up there, uh, looking to distribute cannabis. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's happening very quickly up there because the laws say it can. And because the laws say here we can't, uh, it's going to be much more slow. And I understand that there's actually a few publicly traded stocks in the cannabis industry in Canada that are very hot right now. They are very hot. Ah, I'm not going to ask. No names, no (laughs) tips. I'm not going to put you on the spot there, (laughs) but I know they exist with a little homework. There is something called the Internet. You can find out this stuff, right? Yes, exactly. Well, Keith, I could sit here and talk with you, as you Mm -hmm. can expect, for another hour, uh, but I know you're a very busy man, and I do want to thank you so much for coming in uh, today. Uh, I am, as you can tell, curious, fascinated, passionate about this, um, and... I more than willing to help in whatever capacity I possibly can. And I thank you for coming in today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure, Jimmy. All right. See you this weekend. You bet. You'll see me at the New England Cannabis Convention uh, this weekend, walking the floor with my little microphone and my iPhone and talking to more and more people. You've been listening to In the Weeds, a podcast here that you could get on the CLNS Media Network. It's available on SoundCloud immediately, well, at least within the next uh, 24 hours. And this program has been brought to you by Vape Dad. The Boston region's most equipped store totally dedicated to the art of vaping instead of smoking your favorite product. Who's your daddy? Vape Daddy in four locations around Boston in Norwood, Newton, Braintree and Framingham. Thanks for listening to In the Weeds for Keith Cooper and our friend Eric Williams, who made this possible. I'm Jimmy Young. See you next time. You're listening to In the Weeds, a podcast about the cannabis industry, brought to you by Vape Daddies, with four locations in the greater Boston, Massachusetts area in Norwood, Framingham, Braintree, and Newton.